Wait, don't start yet. <laughs> this is always the hardest part for me. And I'm here with Rebecca Ribnick. Hey, Christy. How are you, Rebecca? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? You having a good time? I'm having a great time. Why are you excited about what's going on right now? Oh, there's a, there's so many things to be excited about. But one one particular thing that I'm excited about is the presence of someone in this room who just brings so much joy and laughter, and who always I always find that I start thinking more in line with with scripture when he's around and I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize that 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 belief had slipped a little bit or wasn't quite up to the standard of Jesus until he starts speaking. Mr. Steve Backland is here Mm -hmm. with us this morning. Hey, Steve. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Yes, (laughs) thanks for coming to Minnesota again. I love it. The last time Steve was in Minnesota, it was still under COVID, and he got exposed to COVID. Didn't get it, right, Steve? You didn't I get did it, not get but it. you were exposed to it, so you, could, yes. you couldn't fly home. Oh, he couldn't man. fly home, and he lives in Redding, California. I've done that drive. Mm-hmm. Bless you. Well, it, although it was a great, it was a blessing. I Kel- got a, a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. I asked my wife, Wendy, if she would fly to Minnesota so we could do a driving adventure back Ooh. to California. Ooh. And we had fun. That's Isn't great. that brilliant? That's that's a great idea. Turning uh, lemons into lemonade. That is a great decision. I have <laughs> I have made that that drive with um, yeah. That was before she knew <laughs> you, Steve. So she wasn't. Yeah, she didn't, it, it she was, didn't know how to change actually, her, yeah. her beliefs about I the drive home. I didn't know how to change my beliefs. I was still I still only knew how to suffer for Jesus at that point. My first drive to California was, you know, that's that that's, was. I had to prove my devotion, and the harder things were, the more mm. I obviously loved God. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rebecca, I just dare you to believe to, that that trip, God shows up powerfully Amen. when you take that long drive. Mm-hmm. Amen. And th- your joy is going to go to a whole other level. Amen. <laughs> and it, Gary and I were talking after we're hearing you talk about it. We decided we might have to make that drive. Oh, it sounded like a before. fun trip. <laughs> My. Wow. I mean, it is really beautiful. And I think you get a sense of the scale of how big, especially the West is in our country, just like mile after mile of open land. And it's, it is really beautiful, mm-hmm. it, but it is also mile after mile. So we're really we're really grateful for you to be here. This is this is wonderful. And last time you were at Dare to Believe, we did a podcast and we talked about your history and your story and how you met Wendy and how you started ministry and living at Round is it Round Mountain, Nevada? Yes. Yes, and then how you connected with Bethel and all those things. So Rebecca's gonna link that podcast to this one so that if people wanna hear more about you, they can well, they'll hear about you here, but if they want to hear about your history and how you came to Great. be the amazing Steve Backland, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we also you have, have we've heard things from your interns about and your friends, people who've worked with you about your um, gifting and what the Lord has taught you on drawing out leadership and building leaders. And I'm just fascinated. I know that you wrote a book and with your brother, right? Your brother Phil. Yes. Is he the windsurfer? 
He's the windsurfer. Right. He has a PhD in speech communications, college professor guy. Wow. And so we wrote the book, The Culture of Empowerment, How to Champion People. And so I took a biblical approach to that and a life experience approach. He took a educational approach and life experience. And it's a great blend. Well, tell us about, I mean, where did this, how did this develop in your heart, Steve, to, to develop leaders? Is that something that's always been in you, or is that something the Lord drew out of you, that leaders drew out of you? Tell us how that happened. Well, I became a follower of Jesus at age 19. My first pastor, Fred, believed in me more than I believed in myself. So that's probably <laughs> the first key. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a key. And he, he saw leadership in me. He pulled me into the leadership team kind of as a Timothy, he called it, an apprentice. And I, I felt believed in, and I liked that. And then I remember just also during that time I was, I was asking the Lord. I was in prayer, I basically used this language, I want to be a man of God. And he said, okay, Steve, get married. Because you're going to learn more about being a man of God in covenant relationships than any other place. Mm. And so Wendy and I are very different. And so my efforts to try to conform her into my own image did not work. work. <laughs> I've noticed that in my marriage, too. Yes. That just doesn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> and I remember when I made her cry one more time just with my little nitpicks, my <clears throat> trying to motivate her by guilt, et cetera. And basically the Lord said, Steve, this is not working. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to love her unconditionally. And that, I said, but Lord, what might she become without my guilt and manipulation? <laughs> yeah, I, love, I love how real you are with the Lord. It's like, well, what might she, she need become? me to do this, Lord? And, and later, years later, Chris Valentin, I think, used this language. He was talking about, he said, the same culture that created 11 world changers created a Judas. Mm. And if your goal is to prevent Judases, you're probably never going to have any world changers. And so he kind of put language to uh, what I was starting to understand. And so just, all right, loving Wendy unconditionally, trying to understand how she's wired. She's not wired like me. And how can I pull the gold out of her and have her thrive? Because for me, like, I, as I was a more disciplined Christian, I checked you the worked box. harder at it. Yeah, I checked the boxes off more. Yep, prayed, fasted, read Bible. You know, the, I'm a good Christian. <laughs> and I think those things are important, but sometimes our motivation, why we do those things, needs to be upgraded. And Wendy just she had a more difficult time with those. She was more spontaneous. And so learning how to love her, and I, I didn't do it perfectly, I still had attitudes, still had times where I didn't do it totally right, but something shifted in me. And so I, the whole culture of empowerment really started with my relationship with her. And then I go out to 
Nevada in the 90s, and I'm pastoring, and I was basically complaining to the Lord about my people. I was saying, God, if I had better people, I could really do something. It's these people you've given me. I'm trying to fly like an eagle, and I'm landlocked with all these prairie chickens. <laughs> and I feel like the Lord says, Steve, do you know what your people's biggest problem is? Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. No, Lord, what's my people's biggest problem? Steve, your people's biggest problem is you. Because they got enough issues in their life. They got enough problems, let alone having a leader who doesn't believe in them. Uh. Having a leader who doesn't have hope for them. And so this is the time, and I'm sure I shared this in the other podcasts, where I'm reading the book by Francis Frangipan called The Three Battlegrounds. He says, every area of your life that doesn't glisten with hope means you're believing a lie, and that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. Well, I mean, we, we look at the different areas where we have beliefs. We have beliefs about God. So every area of my beliefs about God where I don't have glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. Okay, that, that'll revolutionize your theology. Right there, yeah. I mean, you just could slow down yeah. and think that through for decades, couldn't you? I mean, You could. Yeah, if you're missing hope, there's a lie there. You there's a lie away. in my relationship. And if I don't have glistening hope about me, I'm believing lies and I'm not understanding my true identity. If I don't have glistening hope about circumstances, then my perspective on those circumstances is under the influence of a lie. But it's this fourth area of not having glistening hope about people in my life. <laughs> that, that one really challenged me. Because really, <clears throat> the only people I, I had great hope about were people I didn't know very well. <laughs> it always gets so messy when you have to really know people i know it? because once we get to know once we get to know the history of people <laughs> then then we get disappointed because yeah. they're not perfect because they're not perfect yeah. and yeah. that's the nature of relationship you exactly get, you get excited then you get disappointed yeah then you either are going to disengage your heart or you're going to grow mm unpack that a little bit yeah i feel like you're talking about dating in the world like no well, well more, a lot than of, dating, more than but dating but see rebecca's single just for everyone that knows this and she's not dating anyone at the moment so she needs a male revivalist to come and mm-hmm. <laughs> enter into wow, her life like don't you think steve into this one before <laughs> don't you think that'd be great at, he's coming soon he's oh, gonna yeah. walk he's through coming. that front door <clears throat> yes Amen. But I'm just saying, I just see a lot of, I, amen to that. But there's, uh, I see that cycle over and over again, people who, you know, the world is such a bad discipler and the world says when that excitement fades and you start getting disappointment, that's mm-hmm. actually, right. there's something wrong with this relationship. It's time to break the relationship, be it dating or a friend a or family yep. member or whoever. Right. And, and that's why people hide mm-hmm. and aren't themselves free to be themselves because if people really know me, they're going to reject me is the lie we walk with. I mean, that's yeah it's we fall out of love we think mm. in, in a dating situation i fall out of love i don't feel this anymore therefore there's something wrong <laughs> i love it when hearing danny silk talk about that he's like love's not a hole you don't fall in it <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like, that falling in love does not that doesn't cut it yeah. but it is that 
I think just understanding normal patterns. Because one of the biggest lies of the devil to me is that you are the only one who feels this way. Yes, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who's experienced it. No, we all experience it. We all experience disappointment in relationships. We all experience Rejection. disappointment in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all experience disappointment in God. But it's what we, what we do with that. Mm, that's good. And, and so it's, it's in this relational thing, and I believe that the foundation of the culture of empowerment is to understand that one of the most important things leaders do or influencers do is believe in the people they're leading. We're not just trying to get people to do things. We're not, we're not trying to, we don't make disciples by making people act like Jesus. And this, I mean, this is a whole other level of that. We, we make disciples by helping people believe like Jesus. But it takes leadership, in my opinion, that really sees the gold in people. There's a, there's a gold mine there where we were in Nevada and they moved hundreds of tons of dirt a day, but nobody talked about dirt. All they talked about was gold. And people won't mind you moving their dirt as long as they know you're looking for gold in them. So if I believe there's gold, and that's why I love the prophetic culture. I love the culture that you guys create of, of actually prophesying into people's lives like the angel did to Gideon in Judges 6. He prophesied, says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. That was a prophetic word because he wasn't living in the experience of it. And he didn't see himself that way. He didn't see himself that way. Mm -mm. So the angel was actually modeling empowering leadership. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, is that empowerment starts in the heart of beliefs, and then it affects your language. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I can't fake that. I've got, if I don't believe in somebody, uh, my words eventually are, they'll be condescending words. They'll be disempowering words, no matter how much I'm going to try to not have that. I, one of the, and I know I'm just I'm covering a lot here, and you guys can <clears throat> ask questions about this. But it's like even in speakers, public speakers, who I think I'm talking to is going to determine the empowerment of my words. If I think I'm talking to great people who want to do it right, my words are going to be powerful. They're going to be uh, supportive. They're going to be identity words or they're I'm going to be giving them keys for breakthrough. But if I believe I'm talking to people who don't want to do it right, who are uncommitted, who are slacking off and probably don't even want to be here, <laughs> then my words are, are going to be more law-based. Mm-hmm. They're going to be more condescending, talking down to people. And people naturally, I mean, we want to learn from every speaker, every speaker speaking style. But when you go after a culture of empowerment, it affects a whole lot of different areas. And you know, it's a lot messier. It's a lot more work to be in a culture of empowerment because 
maybe that's a lie I need to deal with, but but the messy stuff comes up with people, and so you have to to spend time with the Lord asking what is... I'm having a hard time seeing the treasure in yeah. this one, Lord. Why did you send them to me? What do I do with this one? That's. I mean, it takes a lot of time and effort. It's not just a simple thing, is it? It's not, and, and just because we have a culture of empowerment, not everybody's going to have equal access to us or equal opportunity yeah. under us. Yeah. So it doesn't mean I don't have boundaries in relationships. I'm not equally allowing people in my ministries to do certain things, but it creates an updraft. That's good. That's a good That's picture. a really good point. Mm-hmm. It creates an updraft where people the people can rise up. And that type of a culture causes surprising people yeah. to rise up. It's kind of what David yeah. did. He had a culture of empowerment. He's got these three D people. A mess of a guy. I mean, everyone all, in debt, whole, distress, yeah. and discontent. <laughs> the worst of the worst, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, his congregation, I'm sure there were fist fights in his congregation, <laughs> yeah. people cussing in the middle of meetings, oh, yeah. you know. And, and, but it was Even his, Jesus did that, didn't he? I mean, oh, he picked a mess of people, the guys he picked. He picked, and he, if I, I, I look at who he picked, and he didn't pick the who's who out of religious institutions. Mm-mm. Had he asked you for your thoughts, would you have told him to I pick those people? I would have. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I've seen I've seen uh, Steve's teams in in action in Reading, and that's something that that always struck me is uh, there was Steve has a reputation for having just at the end of the year the the people that were third years or interns under him are high caliber people that you trust but you look at the team dynamics especially at first like these be people I knew I'm like wow they are so different from one another they're like polar ends of the scale here and you see that with Jesus you've got a zealot and a tax collector like these are guys on the opposite end of the political scale or the opposite end of personality probably and I actually see that in Steve's teams he pulls those sorts of people together and then through a year process of serving under him are, are those are actually still to this day some of my very best friends are former Steve Backlund interns. Well, we, I don't want just safe people. Mm, that's good right there. That's good. I I don't want. I mean, I, I'm not just saying choose wildly, but I want diversity. I need certain people on my team. I need I need some Peters. Unpredictable. Yep, they may shoot their mouth off every once in a while. <laughs> they, but they're going to step out of the boat. Yeah. If it's you, Lord, tell me to come. I want those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also need. I need the, the ones who are calm and will pray with you all night. Those kind of people as well, and then those who are very efficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that what Jesus describes the body of Christ, or Scripture describes the body of Christ? We're not all the same. We're all different, and, and learning to work in unity without being the same, that's that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And I was really influenced in my leadership style by coaching. I, I like basketball, and I've played a lot. I coached basketball in Nevada there for the high school. And good coaches put people in the position where they can succeed. I I believe there's training we need to give everybody and general 
like general ed, so to speak, but then what's the major? And, and that's part of empowerment is to be a student of people, to study, and mm -hmm. to tell them what you see in them, to tell them this is what you are really good at. And it's, it's done through prophetic you know, insight, but it's also just done by being a student of people and observing people's tendencies and then put language. And I know that I was in high school, I didn't even know the Lord, and I had a, go a government teacher who just said to me, Steve, I think you'd be really good in government and in politics. And it just, it amazed me because I couldn't, somebody saw something I couldn't see in myself. Because mm -hmm. all of us are still struggling with some level of insecurity. The accuser of the brethren is using negative comparison in our lives to tell us what we're not. Yep, you're not that. You hear these great testimonies of people doing things. And, and in my own insecurities, those would actually, I would feel bad. I'm not doing that. Well, the Lord says you're not called to do that. I mean, I'm going to learn by that. And there's an aspect of that I might be called to do. But then we have to find out what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. And that takes people in our lives with discernment and who are students of us. And I want to be a student of the people in my life. And that takes unconditional love because I, to let people see the things that are not potential in you and love you anyway. Yeah. It's not, there's no performance, love based on performance because you're not performing, you're just being yourself. But you, you are an expert at making that culture around people. And that's what I want to learn more about is like, how do you, I mean, I, I understand um, kind of what, why you do that and what you've learned, but you've got some really specific things you do to make sure that you are on task and, and loving people and taking care of them. And I mean, we're talking lots and lots and lots of people. So everybody who's come through as an intern or that pastors that you've met or all kinds of people, you just stay connected and you, you continue to speak life into them. But how do you keep yourself on track as a leader doing that? That's a lot of work. <laughs> well, first of all, we need to value relationships. And I, I, sometimes I thought, well, I want, I love the ministry. I just don't like the people. <laughs> yeah. That's I just want to get that. something done. The people are in my way. I'm always dealing with issues. Yeah. You know, I've, always, I've always got this. And then the Lord says, People are your ministry. Oh my goodness. I'm not just trying to get a goal done. I'm not trying to just go out there and, and do great things and leaving broken relationships behind me. I mean, you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and you got. I mean, it's, it's got the who's who of revival activities in the beginning. I mean, speak in tongues, men of angels, understand all mysteries, knowledge, you're going to burn alive for your faith, you give everything away. Man, that, whoo, that, that, that's revival activities. I mean, that, that's just, man, I look at that, and, and so it says if you have not love, it's a big zero. Yeah. And I'm waiting, man. I'm waiting for this deep revelation. Okay, what is it? I'm waiting for some meat. Some meat. All right. Okay. What is love? And then love, love is kind. Now, I want something profound, Lord. <laughs> I want, that's not deep enough for me. Love is kind. And really, you look at that. It's basically 
He's saying, if you do great things but treat people poorly, it's a big zero. It's a big zero. And that's where zealots <laughs> sometimes miss it. And, and again, we don't, we're, there's, a, there's obviously where we can't just, if someone's not receiving us or there's a, a bright breakdown in relationships and we've done what we need to do, we got to move on. But I think as a principle, though, it's, it's really knowing that one of my, the greatest things I do is build people. Bill Johnson says, my goal is not to build a big church, but to build big people. Yeah. So that's what the culture of empowerment is. I, I, I've got things I'm doing. I've got goals I'm reaching, but the greatest thing I'm doing besides my relationship with the Lord is building people. And so it's a mindset. Once you get the mindset, this is my priority. Then you begin to structure your life and what you're doing so that that's actually going to happen. And so I've got people on my team that help me. I've got a staff member who's really, she's my personal assistant, but really her job is to help me manage my relationships. And then I have interns, uh, specific interns, who their job is relationships and communication to help me with relationships and to facilitate that. And I was sharing with you yesterday, one of the roles or jobs of that role is to share a Danny Silk quote. I love that you're every doing meeting. That. Tell about that. Well, it's just, again, whatever you want as a result, you're not, you're not just going to get there by osmosis. Mm-hmm. Well, I want my then. team to have good relationships. Well, okay, what's your plan? How are you going to get there? Well, I'm just believing God. <laughs> no, you gotta, you, you, that's where creativity comes in. And, and you don't need to do a lot to get a big result. So, and we, we identify with our team who we are. You know, we're first family. We tell them up front, we're family. We do relationships. We, we, we are a place where we learn how to do healthy relationships. We're a renewing the mind school we're relentless about this, about believing truth instead of lies. We're a leadership. De- we, we develop leaders. That's what we do. And then we also, we're, we are seeking to set you up for your future. We're going to study you this year so we can help you in any way we can with your future. And so one of the things with <clears throat> relationships, yeah, it maybe takes two to five minutes in a meeting. We meet every week. It's part of the plan. We have a Right now, a two-hour meeting every Tuesday where our whole team meets. I've got 17 third-year students, intern-type people, plus four staff, and we meet. And in that meeting, the, the intern who's with relationships shares a Danny Silk quote because we want to face that every week. Whoa, that's right. Just kind of recalibrate and remind people it's about relationships, it's about healthy relationships. relationships. It's about, yeah. Again, it goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. And there's we, no shame that we don't know how to do healthy relationships because we haven't been taught well. So let's right. learn and how. Right. <laughs> and we need to be reminded. Right. I need to be, oh, yeah, I was, yeah, I wasn't keeping my love on. Oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> boom. And 
So it's, it's, it's intentional because what I, I learned that I, I like golf and I remember golfing and I would lose a certain golf club on, on the golf course. It was so you use a you drive with a big club. Then you, as you get closer to the green, you drive the cart to the green and you would use what's called a pitching wedge. You'd pitch onto the green and then I'd carry my putter and my pitching wedge to the green from the cart. Well, I would drop my pitching wedge down and I'd go putt and then I would forget my pitching wedge and drive <laughs> off without it. You're not the only one that does that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know that if there's golfers out here, they understand that one. And so I got an idea. I said, well, I'm going to, once I pitch, I'm going to look to where my cart is, and I'm going to look where the hole is, and I'm going to put the pitching wedge between the cart and the hole so that when I go back to my cart, I'll bump into it. Did it work? It it worked. Awesome. I, I, I don't lose it anymore. And so I've developed a lot of my leadership style with that in mind. So I do a Danny Silk quote, so I'll bump into it. Oh, that's good. So I won't forget. Oh, yeah, I forgot, you know, and then two months later, I'm having all this chaos on my team, you know, because, and, oh, I better, yeah, what, what would Danny say? <laughs> <laughs> what would he say now? And, and so just even how we do our team meetings and the teaching and because I, I – I firmly believe that what a person believes is more important than what they do. Yes, but how people don't know what that means. And you're, I agree with you, but help people understand. How do you know what, that you're believing lies? How do you understand? Well, it's the development of people is developing their beliefs, de- developing their responses mm-hmm. to what's happening in their lives, and. And so basically convincing people, I mean, because we're not, we're not transformed by giving God our hearts. We're transformed by giving God our beliefs, mm-hmm. Romans 12, too. Man, I love giving God our hearts. That's important. That's foundational. But I'm not going to see transformation unless I believe something higher than what I'm experiencing and feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. And, that, and the Lord will tell you, no, that's a lie. So then you just repent for believing the lie. Get it out. Yeah, get and out say, there. Lord, what's the lies. truth? Yeah, what's the truth then? And put the truth in there. And then, then you've got that sealed up with truth instead of lies. And it's true. And, but I've noticed that many leaders don't realize they're more concerned about what their people do than what they believe. And, and really... It, Paul would, would say that that's foolish because that's a more of a works of the law mentality. Because mm-hmm. if we're more focused on, what, on people's behaviors than their beliefs, then we very probably are more law-based than grace and Jesus and belief-based. So for the leaders that are listening here, how can they tell in themselves uh, whether they're believing, that, whether they value their people more based on what they do than what they believe. How, how can a leader tell that? Well, or here, here's, that? A, here's a good indicator. Let's say just in teaching and preaching and as concerning behavioral issues, if we're, if we're telling people more what to do than what to believe or telling people what to do more than we're telling them who they are, mm-hmm. 
then that's an indicator. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe this, and this is my own theory, that empowering teachers and preachers concerning behavioral issues tell their people 80% who they are and 20% what to do. And I love that, Steve. What I find is people aren't used to that. People no. don't know what to do when you no. do that. Because we've, we've trained our church people and culture, culturally the opposite. To be told 80% what to do <laughs> and just follow the rules. But that doesn't work. It ends up with, with a, well, a lot of disappointment. It creates more sin. Because when, exactly. you, when you focus, yep. when you teach the law, it creates sin. Yep. It Galatians 3, Paul said, he said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Yeah. He said, having begun in the spirit, are you going to be now made perfect in the flesh? I love what he calls flesh. You know, I think flesh, oh, that person's in the flesh. I think of them sinning. You know, they're doing all <laughs> Those kinds nasty of, people in, the in their flesh. You know? <laughs> and, and he says, this one thing I want to, um, did you receive this? I want to know from, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I love it says hearing of faith. And we know the answer is the hearing of faith. That's how we receive the Spirit. Right, yeah. And he goes on to say in verse 5, it says, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? And so the same way we get into the kingdom is the same way we advance. It's by hearing good news and believing it. The same way we get into the kingdom is how we advance. That's, that's a quotable right there, Steve. Yeah. The same way we get into the kingdom is the same way we advance in the kingdom. It's by hearing good news and believing mm -hmm. it. And that's why people, the angel didn't tell Gideon, hey, Gideon, get your act together, overcome your victim mindset. What's wrong with you? Try harder. Yeah, try harder. He, no, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And again, we will, we, there are times where we speak very specifically about behavior issues the Bible does, but there needs to be a foundation of identity, of identity teaching. This is who you are. This is what you can do. Because people can't consistently do what they don't believe they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the belief does, they change, they evolve. I think Jack Deere was the guy that I heard say this. He said, you know, what he, what he realized when he was in his 60s, he kept thinking he was going to arrive as a Christian and be done with all the work and stuff out. Huh. And he said, the Lord talked to him about going from glory to glory to glory. And he, he said, I came to a realization, this life on earth is a recovery process from being human. But we become more like Jesus, but we, it's, it just never stops till we're done in heaven. Then we're perfect. But in... In the meantime, we're learning our, our wrong beliefs, and we're changing them, and we're learning to, to be more like Jesus, but there's always some stuff to be fine-tuned, and that's the process of being human. I like that. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one offering he has perfected forever those mm -hmm. who are being sanctified. Yep. Now, what happens is, and is that, when we receive Jesus, we, we become perfect. We, but sanctification is the process of getting into our experience who we already are. So I'm not trying to, it's like, uh, uh, let's put it this way. The moment I receive Jesus, 
I become a butterfly, but I still look like a caterpillar. Amen. I love this. That's good. I, I, I become a butterfly. I, that's who I am. I've been born again in my spirit. But I look like a, a caterpillar, and the way I am now sanct, sanct, being sanctified, I'm getting in my experience, my, cater, my butterflyhood. And that's why declarations are so important. That's why I say not, I have to create a culture of empowerment over me first. There, there you go. Yeah. That's probably the best leadership training Yes, because I know tool. me really well. And if I can empower me, because there's certain things about me I wish were different. <laughs> You're not perfect, Steve. No. Huh? That's no. a shocker. There, there's, things, you know, <laughs> there's things in my family I wish were different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's things in my background I regret. You know? I mean, just so... But I tell people, if you experience those things, welcome to the club. Yeah. Welcome. But it's what we do. And so learning to empower me and declarations. And Abraham is such a great example of self-empowerment. Because he, so he gets a promise at age 75, hey, count stars, count sand. how many of your descendants are going to be. And he... 20, 24 years later, still hasn't happened. He has an encounter in Genesis 17 where God says, at that time his name was Abram. He says, your name is no longer going to be called Abram, which means exalted father, but Abraham, which means father of many nations. I want you to actually change your name to the promise. Change your identity. It's a prophetic act, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want you to call yourself father of of a multitude, father of many nations. That's what I want you to say. I want you to declare over yourself. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's amazing that a year later, Isaac was born. After, you know, 20 plus years of no fulfillment of promise. But it's when he started empowering himself through what he said over himself, and whatever said, what he said over Sarah, because he, her name's no longer going to be Sarai, but Sarah, <clears throat> and how he, how he saw her. So it, 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 it begins there. And Romans 4 talks about him. He holds Abraham up as the example for the New Testament believer of how to do this. So against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed and became and it says he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And so it was a process. He wasn't just zapped, and, and then he became fully convinced. And I love it says also, it says he never wavered. His, God's analysis of Abraham, he never wavered. I look at him, I, I, nah, man. Um, I see some um. wavering. <laughs> Ishmael, waver, lying about his wife being his sister twice, big waver. And where God tells him in Genesis 17, it's still going to happen through Sarah. He falls on his face and laughs at the ridiculousness of it. He, I thought, I call that a waver. But the Lord says he never wavered because God's analysis of our faith journey is different than our own. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And that's why it's so important to figure out how to see ourselves from God's perspective. Right. Yes. Because it's the only way we can get where we're not great we're... judges of ourselves. In fact, well, Scripture's and, pretty good at telling us that Jesus is the only righteous judge, and mm. he sees things a lot different than we do. Yeah, so learning and, to and see we can from be him. really good at agreeing with the accuser of the That's brethren. Right. 
about who we are yeah. instead of agreeing with the Lord about who we are. Yeah, but we it's 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 hard. We just have to be intentional. That's why I love that you're intentional about these things and in working intentionality into your life and the lives of those on your team so that you do keep things in front of you. I really like your analogy of your your golf club. It, yeah, was it a chip what was it? Pitching wedge. Pitching wedge. wedge. Yes. yes. Because that's why we have scripture. That's why it's important to be in scripture regularly too. Yep. Keep that in front of you that, so that you don't forget to pick it up and bring it with you. Even if you just do a devotion regularly, just keep scripture in front of you. Keep quotes of people that encourage your heart in front of you intentionally. Don't well, make it accidental. That's why people listening to to the Dare to, to Believe podcast is such a good idea. Come on, yeah. I mean, that's like putting just great truth and inspiration in front of you. The other thing I was going to mention, too, is the intentionality of what we do on our team, and we focus on what they believe more than what they do. But then we teach that our response to something is almost always more important than the something. Talk more about yeah, that. that's good. So I'm, with my team members, in my development of them, on one level, I'm more concerned about their response to things than I am for what they're doing for me. Because it says in 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you be in health and prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. And soul prosperity is really my ultimate, one of my main ultimate goals in developing people. Mm -hmm. And soul prosperity is, is manifested through responses of hope, joy, peace, purpose. And it has overcome the victim mindset. Which is a big thing to overcome. Yeah, the victim mindset is... The thing that I probably go after, <laughs> I go after a lot. It's In John 5, Jesus sees the guy by the pool. He's been lame for, what, 38 years, and he, he asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? I mean, it's, it sounds like a no-brainer. Duh. But yes. basically, the Lord's asked me at times, Steve, do you want to be made well? <clears throat> Lord, I'll get back to you on that, because... If I'm made well, I've got to get rid of my excuses. Yeah. And you're very, very familiar and comfortable with your excuses. Yes. Why? Yeah. Yep. Because they make the, they, it, that's my security instead of the Lord or instead of who I am. We, we have a false placed security in, I mean, even if it, being a victim isn't a good thing, I know how to be a victim. You know, I'm not speaking that over myself, but I, I, it's it's so it's common familiar with people, and it's it's right. It's familiar, yeah. and I know how to do that. I don't mm -hmm. know how to be victorious yet. <laughs> you know, that, I had that literal experience when I was I was sick for about 16 years. Uh, some of them bedridden, and the night that I was healed, I had an encounter with Jesus, and He said, "Get up, you're well." And I wanted to believe it. Like everything inside of me believed it, but I had this other thought that came like, "Uh oh, I only know how to be sick." Mm -hmm. What if I'm really bad at being good? My excuse has just gone away. What if I fail yeah. at life and now I have no reason, no excuse to point to? And that that was actually tempting. As I hate mm. admitting it, that wow. that the reality of being healthy versus I've got I've got an out in every situation and I know how to do it. That was staring me in the face. I'm, 
You know, several years ago, I um, I'm, I t- talked with a, a woman who is a social worker at the University of Minnesota in the in the uh, organ transplant hospital. You know, and she t- she told me, and I think it, it just pertains to how we're, what you're describing. But she said, you know, people who come in and get an organ transplant, it's pretty serious. They have been sick for a long time. And their heart's not working, their liver's not working, their kidneys aren't working. I mean, they have been very sick, and they know how to be sick because that's been their reality. Yeah. Uh, and they will get an organ transplant and get healed up. But then the process that she steps into is these people don't know how to be healthy. Right. They know very mm-hmm. well how to be sick. And that's normal to them, even though they didn't like that normal. That wasn't a desirable normal. They know how to do that, but they didn't know how to be right. healthy people. So they actually work with them and do training on how to be a healthy person because people lose track of how to do that. And what you're describing is we're all sick to some extent, and Jesus comes in, does a transplant on us, <laughs> gives us his presence, gives us his spirit, but then we have to allow ourselves to be trained yeah. to walk that out because we don't. We know very well how to be a mess, but we don't know yeah. how to be this redeemed person yet. So we've got to be intentional to let him train us, right? Is that what you're describing? Is that fit? Or not really? Well, it is because, again, that's that's kind of like it's a secret, I don't know if it's a secret doorway, but that to influence. Because what's happening in us more important than what's happening through us. Mm-hmm. And I believe empowering leaders understand that. So it's like... My triggers, my responses, my fears, my fear of missing out, my indecision in decision-making, my doubt after I've made a decision, all all of those things are what's happening in us. And those are the things that as we deal with, then that's what actually gives us influence. Because we don't have have an influence because we have a message. We have influence because we have a life. That's a good word. That's a great word, yeah. At least healthy influence. I can influence through fear, manipulation, through anger, you know, whatever. I, I can influence, but it's not healthy. Right. And so that, again, the, the culture of empowerment, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Very interested in, in what, what comes up and the response. And, and I don't demand perfection. I celebrate progress not perfection. So just because I'm not responding right or someone else is not responding right doesn't mean, okay, there's something wrong with you. No, but let's, let's figure out, okay, what is that? Mm-hmm. What is that fear? I remember when I first I moved from after being in Nevada, I pastored in Round Mountain, no, excuse me, Weaverville from 2001, 2008. I'm the number one guy there. And then I come to... Reading, and I, I'm not number one in Reading. I don't even know what number I am, but, I, but I'm, I'm not in the single digits. All right, so I'm in this big culture of big leaders. All right, yeah. and so I felt these insecurities come up in me. Man, I just, I was trying to find out who you know. And I felt, I felt um, underutilized. I felt underappreciated. I had all these feelings. All right. I felt insecure in situations. And those feelings are how 
going to the root of those, Steve, do you want to be made well? Because those are victim mindsets. And the, you'd been a pastor for many years. You didn't even know that was really no, in there. The, you, know, you, go, yeah. you go, kind of go to a higher level. There's higher pressures mm-hmm. on you. And it's what I do with those pressures. Exactly. Yep, I'm a victim of the people around me. People don't see what's on me enough. You know, all the lies. But basically the Lord says, you, if you go to the root of, of those things and you start prospering in your soul and you get rid of the lies, get rid of the fears, get rid of the offense, then you are, you're going to prosper in your soul and nothing can stop you. No person can stop you. you. You don't have to worry about favor. You don't have to worry about that because it's God wants to take the smallness out of mm-hmm. our lives. You can't attract big people if you're small on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, I um, I encountered Bethel after a, a lifetime of being a Christian. <laughs> so I, I, I was raised in the Christian church, knew the Lord all my life, became a pastor, served in the church, and then down the road I ended up at Bethel. And there was this thing that they kept talking about. I think Chris Felton, I heard him talk about it, but I think everybody is, if, if you're going to be in our school, you have to make messes. You have to take risks and do it wrong. You have to, we require you you, do, you not do it always right. <laughs> yeah. And I just, it took me the longest time. It's like this big paradigm was shifting for me. Like, wait a minute, you can be a Christian and do something wrong. I mean, we're not talking moral failure, but like, you don't, you might not do it right. We're still going to love you. We're still going to honor you. We're still going to encourage you. That was mind boggling for me because it wasn't the culture I'd been walking in or raised in. And so that's, it's so fruitful. It's so life giving. That's what you're describing is we don't expect you to be perfect. We just expect you to keep going towards who you are, who God yes. says you are. And yes. we need people around us who are, who will call us out when, hey, that's not who you are, and do it with love and care. That's the honoring piece. I'm sure you've had plenty of opportunity to sit down with people who are like, hey, wait a minute, you're making this mess, and that's not who you are. But you call them up to be who they really are in the Lord, who the Lord says they are, instead of who they're acting like, right? Yes, that's a culture of empowerment in how we, whether we want to use the word confrontation, upgrading people, whatever, we, we basically say, where you're going, you can't take that with you. Yeah, right? yeah. You're going somewhere. I'm not just trying to fix people to be good Christians. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah, I, you're, you're embarrassing our church. Cut it out. Yeah. You're making, you're, you're, you're making it difficult in our meetings. You're not fun. Stop it. Well, that's just, that's law-based rather than vision-based. And that's such a paradigm shift. Well, Isn't and it's, it? it's back to the very beginning where you're saying you're believing in people. You had someone believe in you before you believed in yourself yeah. and saw something in you you couldn't see in yourself quite yet. That's back to that, saying, I see something in you. There's something amazing that God's destined you for that's put inside of you. Here's this goal. So we're going to move some dirt. We're going to raise up to that standard. Here's the standard that God has created for you. This is who you are. And mothers and fathers tend to do that, whereas elder brothers don't. Because mm-hmm. if I have an elder brother mindset as a leader that I'm competitive, I'm, I, I just 
your failure is my gain, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And but as we as we advance into being a father, and by the way, I believe that the difference in Luke 15, great story, prodigal son, you got the father and elder brother as well, and. The difference between an elder brother mindset and a father mindset is the default of an elder brother mindset is to first see what's wrong with a person or place. The default with the father mindset is to first see what's right with a person or place. There you go. That's great. And it's what you're looking for. When I come into a city, I'm looking for what's right. And what, in, in order to be a strong mother or father, you have to know God's got your back and has a plan for you, too. You have to be secure in yeah. that. Because if you're not secure in that and know God's with you and he's got you, he's got, he has good things for you, then you're afraid of losing your status or your position or your place or, you know, you're not going to be important or you're not going to be needed. But that goes away when you know the Lord's got you. And then it's easier to raise other people up and let them pass by you, cheer them on, right? Because there'll always be a place for me. <laughs> I love that. Let them pass by you. Yeah. Well, we talk often, Rebecca and I, about, and we, people who've listened to this podcast have heard this over and over, but she ran... Um, relays. It relays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, she was an athlete. She ran relays. Oh, wow. But when you pass the baton, you run the race side by side for a while before you can successfully pass off. You have to be running at the same speed to make yeah. a good yeah. handoff. And it's not like, yeah. oh, when I hand the baton off, I go away. or when, you know, I've got to continue to run next to this next person for a while. It doesn't just, you don't just stop and hand it and, and they begin running. There is a time of running together and that never goes away. So I love it. And it's the, it is the relate. It goes back to relationships. It goes back to the yeah. commitment of time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. And if I'm too busy to spend time with the key people in my life or that my team members that I'm seeking to develop and I don't pay attention to my heart connections with them, then it's like a marriage. I mean, if I, if I don't pay attention to my marriage and I don't invest in it, well, there's going to come a point where I'm going to have to invest in it. And it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> no, that, that, yeah, <laughs> help! <laughs> Time out! That's great. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of this information is in your book. Uh, I want to remind people there's a book called The Culture of Empowerment. Steve's written a lot of books. How many? I don't even... A bunch. <laughs> 14, 15, around there. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good books. But this, what we're talking about today, the raising up leaders, a lot of that is in the culture of empowerment. So I encourage people that are leading leaders and who isn't leading leaders to under, to read this and understand and it. And my brother Phil and I are working on a business organizational version of that book right now. And oh, very cool. We have started in our ministry, Igniting Hope Ministry, we've started what we call the Igniting Hope Academy, where we have online courses, and we are planning an online course on the culture of empowerment. Wow, I would think great. in the next year or so that will our goal is to have that released. And you're doing school classes on beliefs, right? We have a course right now that is called the Transformational Mind Renewal Course, a five-month course on the five steps of radical mind renewal. And that's, that's happening. 
Wendy, my wife, is having a course that will be starting in January 2021 uh, called Vic Victorious Emotions, using her book, Victorious Emotions. That is so good. I mean, I, I, I'd encourage people to do that. just Because dealing with your soul wounds, your emotional things, yep. it can is very worthwhile. And God's got gotcha. you. And learn how to, she teaches people how to submit their emotions to the Lord. Yes, and she's she's learned a lot, and she's got some powerful insights on there. And so we do. I do a weekly podcast and blog as well. And people want to connect with us on ignitinghope.com. We'd love it. And you do regular hope injections on Instagram. Oh, yeah, on Instagram, and igniting hope. Instagram, igniting hope. Facebook. We want to flood the world with hope. Come on. I love it. I love it. Well, you've, this has been awesome. Would you, would you release prophetically or, or just in prayer over our listeners so that they get ignited with hope? Ignite some hope before mm. you're done here, Steve. Well, I, I, I just see that I'm talking to Joshua and Caleb's right now who are listening. And I think about Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 spies. They come back after 40 days, break up into two groups of people and see the, the, the exact same circumstance and put a different conclusion on what they saw. And the 10 spies thought, thought they were grasshoppers. <laughs> they had poor identity beliefs and they misinterpreted what was going on. And But Joshua and Caleb had... Uh, of the beliefs they dared to believe they dared to believe who they were what god said his promises and i'm talking to joshua and caleb's right now and you may not even feel like a joshua and caleb but you are and i just release over you an impartation of that anointing what joshua and caleb had and that even as you interpret what's going on maybe in your nation what's going on in your family what's going on in your finances or wherever, I'm seeing the Lord just upgrading your conclusions. Your conclusions about what's going on is more important than what's going on. And I mm -hmm. see him upgrading that, giving you grace, and that you're an influencer. You're possessing your promised land, and you're going to cause others to possess their promised land. So I bless you with unreasonable optimism. Love it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, uh, what the the thing that keeps coming to my mind when you say that is there's giants in the land, but the grapes are worth it. So mm. there there's there's stuff to deal with in life, but the fruit of what happens when you go for it and believe who God says you are is so worth it. Yep. Thank you guys for what you do. Yeah. Thank you, Christy Steve. and this Rebecca. Is great. And dare to believe. It's powerful. Come on. Amen. And you ain't Thanks. seen nothing yet. All right. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> we Bring on the giants. That. Yes. That's yep. my territory. Yep. They're our bread. Yeah. <laughs> giant's bones are my bread. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Steve. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Dare to Believe podcast. This marks the end of season three. Can you believe it? We will be back in a couple of months with some great content for you to encourage you to believe for all that God has for you. So please hit subscribe so as to not miss anything. You can also head over to daretobelieve.info for more information about upcoming events in our area. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And I bless you to be everything that God has for you to be and to believe what he believes about your life. Thanks so much, listeners.